What if everything you thought and believed about successful buying, selling, and financing your home was wrong? Welcome to HomeWise with Michael Midget. This is where you can count on straightforward, objective advice on the right way to make the most out of every dollar you put into your home. Whether it's buying, selling, or financing, even maintaining and growing its value along the way. Coming to you from the News Talk STL studios at Union Station in St. Louis. Welcome to HomeWise. I'm Stal Pontikas with the host of HomeWise, Michael Midget. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome aboard. We are glad that you're here. And Michael, I'm glad that you're here. How are you, buddy? I'm good, Stel. How are you? Doing fine, thanks. Well, if this is your first time joining us, you picked a heck of an episode <laughs> to jump in on. So um, we're kind of in the middle of a, let's call it an extended thought that <laughs> it started out innocently and it has kind of progressed into into a new thing because as if you've listened at all, you may have picked up on the the fact that a lot of the things that I talk about are all related to one another in some way. So, you know, I've alluded to the fact that I have, you know, an underlying framework of thought, of systems, of ways of looking at the financial world. And you know, whether you're doing mortgage loans or whether you're looking at personal finance, whether you're looking or working with debt, managing money or whatever, it all happens within the same, the same system. So for example, we've been talking about the private banking framework. And when I say that, I don't mean uh, a bank, like you're going to go open your own bank, like a bank building, like you might drive by down the street. It's more of the function of banking bringing that, well, let's just call it in-house, bringing that in-house rather than relying on a bank for all of the money. You're still going to use banks because our financial system virtually requires that. We talked about uh, the way credit cards and uh, even debit cards, but that the idea of electronic transferring of money, um, even bordering into, uh, you know, the digital realm of having digital money. We don't officially have digital money yet. It's still hard currency. It's just in electronic form. So, you know, versus like cash, you can stuff in your pocket. Um, it, it takes all these different forms. And so the kind of the, the divorcing of the, the physicality of money from the thing that we think of when, you know, you know, when we call money, it's all inside of this one framework. All right. So um, when we first started talking about this, we, I started to lay out some rules. So last week we talked about rule number one, this week, essentially we're going to talk about rule number two, and I'm going to talk about how to evaluate the financing that you use in your, in your personal financial picture. All right. So whether that is uh, borrowing to buy a house, whether that's how you pay for your car, how you finance your life on an ongoing basis, all of those things kind of fall under this idea of financing. Okay. So financing definition of that is essentially how you pay for something. So you might choose a loan to pay for something. And when we hear the word financing, we generally think of taking out a loan because that's the way that it's been verbalized by the media, by advertising and things like that. You know, if you go to buy a car, you can get great financing for it. And they're talking about a loan, 
but you might choose to finance that car with cash that's sitting in your savings account. And we've talked about whether that might or might might or might not be a good idea. Uh, it's not a one one and done hard and fast rule like it either is or it isn't good or bad. It's shades of gray. And then that shade is going to change from person to person to person depending on what their personal financial picture looks like. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, just shadowing back to last week, we talked about rule number one, which was introduce the idea of capital, defining what capital is. Okay. It's your money. It's your assets. It's the things that represent value in your life. You want to keep that. You want to hold on to it. You want to preserve it. Clearly, obviously, yet I can point out many, many cases in life where very smart, savvy, financially savvy, intelligent, wealthy, even Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. squander capital the way that they spend. Okay. So it's not, it's not that it's, that it's terrible or awful. It's just, again, it's, it's shades of gray. Hmm. So, um, rule number one is to keep, preserve, protect that capital. It's the most important rule. Okay. One, it's why it's rule number one. (laughs) Um, but if you don't have capital, you don't have anything to work with. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you just think of it in its purest form of cash that you're going to invest, if you're going to create an investment, like let's say it's your 401k. That would be an example of capital that you have stored up. If you don't have anything, if you don't save, if you don't put anything into it, you don't have anything there to grow over time. So when you get to retirement, you won't, you won't have any, you won't have any money and it's not going to do a very good job of taking care of you in retirement. So you have to, idea is to protect and preserve that. And we understand that concept in the in the, in the uh, context of a retirement account, uh, of a 401k, you know, spreading out risk, don't take too much risk. You're looking at it over a long period of time. You want to put into it. You don't want to take out of it and all the things, all the things that we've heard, um, that is all captured under this, this rule number one that we've talked about keeping, preserving capital. And there's multiple aspects to it, but we also talked about uh, the idea of spending capital. So I alluded to, you know, you keep it, don't spend it, mm-hmm. but using it to borrow against or the act of collateralizing and introduce that word of collateralizing capital. That way you still have the capital, but you've been able to still buy whatever it is that you're, that you're looking to buy. Okay. So again, this is just a single rule, but this show is about real estate, right? So I want to always bring this back to uh, to real estate, particularly the family home, which, as you know, um, I believe is the epicenter of personal finances and personal wealth. Okay, it's your single largest payment, it's your single largest investment. It's also where more of your personal wealth is likely to end up than any other single place in your in your financial picture. All right. The decisions that you make surrounding what you buy, how you buy it, how you finance it, what you do while you own it, and the decisions around selling, such as the timing and all of those kinds of things, are all going to play a role in how much that property contributes to your overall personal wealth. And I believe that moving forward in time that the family home is going to play a larger and larger, more 
integral role in providing for retirement income, much more so than it has in the past. Okay. So in the past, you know, and when we're talking about this, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the simple straightforward version of it is a reverse mortgage, right? Mm-hmm. So you went, you bought homes, you lived in homes your whole entire life. Ultimately, hopefully you got them paid off. And then at some point in the future, you took out a reverse mortgage and used that equity to provide retirement income into the future, right? For, for whatever reason. So in the past, that's been looked at. And today, to some degree, it's still looked at as a necessary evil. Like you would only do that if you had exhausted all of your other avenues, you know, you had nowhere else to go. You hadn't, it was like a last resort, right? Because people, they love their homes. They love their home equity. They love owning their home. People that have the mentality and the mindset and the wherewithal to get a home paid off, that is, first off, it's an accomplishment because not everybody Mm. gets there, okay? Mm -hmm. It's not easy to do. So if you have gotten there, congratulations. If you're not there but you're on your way, hang in there. And if if you're nowhere near and you don't think you're ever going to get there, you can learn the skills and the techniques and get the correct mindset in order to get there. Now, having said all of that, whether you actually want to get there or not, that's a whole nother question, okay? Um, it doesn't preclude having the skills to get there because the same skills that'll get you there will get you wherever else if you if it turned out that that wasn't the right financial decision for you to make. And I know today that might seem like the right thing to do. But after listening to a few of these shows and especially what we're going to talk about today and over the next couple of weeks, uh, you might change your mind. Okay. So it's not right or wrong. It's just, again, it's shades of gray and you have to see where you, where, where you fit into that uh, whole thing. But the, I believe that the family home is going to become an integral part of providing for retirement income. So how well you deal with it, how well you deal with these decisions, how well you nurture that value and what it represents to you is going to make a, it's going to make a difference. Okay. It matters. Okay. So it matters how you finance it. It matters what you pay for the home. It matters how long you hold it. It matters. All of these things matter. I know they matter on a whole lot of other levels too, but they also matter on a, on a financial level. Uh, even just something as simple and as an innocuous as are you going to finance it with a loan or are you going to pay cash, right? Because perhaps you have the ability to just write a check and, and buy that house. That might not be the right way to go, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not, I can't say, well, Mike, what should I do? Well, I don't know. Cause we would have to sit down and we would have to look and see what your financial picture looks like. And part of that's going to be goals. Part of it's going to be your, your resources, what it would take, you know, if you, if you were looking to buy a, you know, average home in St. Louis or St. Charles County, now last time I looked was right around 400000 And let's say you were going to, I don't want to say downsize because maybe that's not downsized for most people, but let's say you just became an empty nester. You have your, you know, like the home you've lived in. So you've, you know, you've paid it off. And now you are looking to, you know, move into that next home, the one that you're going to spend the rest of your, you know, the rest of your days in a home that better suits your new lifestyle as an empty nester versus the one that you raised and grew the family, you know, raised and grew the family in. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so you have the ability, you know, when you sell this house, you have the ability to pay cash for that next one. Or maybe you're looking at a vacation home and you've got, you know, you have money in the bank or investments or whatever, and you have the ability to write that check. You hate mortgages, like just like everybody else on the planet. They always hate those mortgages. And uh, if it makes any difference, I don't love them either, right? So um, it wasn't like a love thing that I that I got into this about. I kind of just stumbled into it, and it uh, just all made sense to me. So um, just a quick aside <laughs> there. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you can pay cash doesn't mean you should pay cash, especially if that took all of your cash, you know, or, you know, I also alluded to the possibility that maybe you were going to liquidate investments to, to do that. Um, you know, that even now that's even a different decision, you know, spending savings to do it, spending cat, you know, cash to do it, spending, liquidating an investment to do it, you know, uh, maybe you're selling other, you know, I mean, it just, everybody might have a different, a different answer to that same framework applied, same set of rules, but they're dynamic rules. There is no like, this is good. That's bad. It's well, here's how it works. Where do you fit? And now what is the right decision for you? Hmm. And so, you know, I've talked about in past weeks about people love, you know, they hate their mortgages. So they love to pay those mortgages off. And, um, is that really a good idea? And financially, we discussed that it, it, it might be a good idea, but it also very well might not be a good idea. Of course, if you, um, that doesn't make any sense to you, that sounds crazy, or you haven't heard me say that before, you can go back to previous episodes. They're all there on homewiseradio.com. Uh, you can, they're all listed by week and by episode. Uh, you just find the one you want, turn it on. Fast forward, back up, pause, replay, all that, all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, it might be a good idea to pay the house off, but it, but it, but it might not be. Okay, but that decision is going to be is going to be different for for everybody. So this week, rule number two is financing efficiently. So last week we talked about borrowing instead of spending capital, borrowing against capital, that collateralizing. I mean, in a sense, I'm kind of telling you to go out and take out a loan. Well, so it's not just take out any loan. It's you want to take out as best of a loan or package of financing that you can. So we're going to talk about what that what that means. When I say finance efficiently, it really comes down to how much capital or how much money can you control uh, for a given amount of money or input that you're going to put in. So oftentimes it's, you're thinking of it in terms of how much is it going to cost to control an amount of capital, the greater the cost or the more it's going to cost. So if we're thinking the cost is monthly payment, the larger the monthly payment is to control that capital or for that fixed loan amount, the, the less efficient that loan is, that's bad. Okay. Uh, the lower the cost, the higher the efficiency, and that's that's good. So hopefully that that makes sense there. And we're evaluating this cost on a periodic or cash flow basis or the monthly payment basis that I just talked about right there. Um, there's also a factor of interest cost, obviously, but it doesn't just come down to interest because you've got that nasty concept of the time value of money in there. Mm. And so that's really what all this comes down to is we're looking at return on investment, 
We have a sum of money. What should we do with it? We want to put it to its uh, highest and best use. And where 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 are we going to get that highest and best use? So in past weeks, I've talked about uh, just the simple, easy to understand scenario of uh, amount of down payment. In fact, that's that's what we talked about last week, right? How much how much should you how much should you put down? The more you put down, the smaller your loan. Okay, and that in a sense is investing in that loan. Okay. Hmm to pay it down and there's an ROI on that roughly equal to what the interest rate on the loan is. Or the less you put down, the more loan you're taking. So you're incurring additional costs there. But in return for that, you have a sum of money that you can invest or or, or put to work. Depending on what that alternative investment would be, all right, so am I going to pay it into the house, pay the loan down in the form of a larger down payment, smaller loan amount, what else could I do with that money? Well, you could put it in your 401k. You can invest it in stocks. You know, if it's the employer match version, has a pretty darn good ROI on it or expected return on investment, you would probably want to do that, okay? But if you're just talking about investing in the stock market after tax money or whatever, and you're expecting returns somewhere in the long term of 6 to 8%, uh, I don't know if that's the low side, high side. I, mean, I don't have a crystal ball. If I did, I'd be doing something else. <laughs> um, but that is going to be, that's going to give you a tough decision whether or not to pay down the loan or not, because given what interest rates are today, you know, if if the interest rate on the loan you're looking at was 7%, paying it down is a 7% return versus a 7%, 6 7 8% return in the market. It sounds like a wash. Now it's more complicated than that, but to illustrate this point that we're talking about today, that is that is the way that you would look at it when considering this this one factor. So, whereas um, you know, so one person might be looking at, well, the only place I had to do with this is to uh, invest in the stock market, but somebody else might have credit card debt, and so we've discussed, you know, the debt consolidation purchase strategy that I've talked about numerous times on the show. Um, you know, the ROI, expected ROI on paying off debt, especially credit card debt, much higher, much higher than what you're going to pay extra on the loan for having the larger loan. So you're probably better off reallocating that cash to pay off debt, reduce those payments, accept a, a little bit higher mortgage payment in the meantime. And then as time goes on, you now you have free cash flow here. What are you going to do with it? you know, maybe you pay down the loan or maybe you invested in the market, you know, I mean, it, it opens up, it gives you choices and it gives you, you know, you know, it gives you flexibility. But the point there is just that you're looking at whatever the highest and best use is for the money or the capital that you have available to you, evaluating the terms of opportunity costs. Mm-hmm. So again, I know that's a lot of terms. We've talked about them in the past. You can go um, look those up and they will pop up. They will pop up from, from time to time. But that is generally the idea of the concept. So now I've got two direct applications of it here. It's what we're going to talk about in segments two and three. So why don't we go to break and then we will jump into that. You're listening to HomeWise. That's Michael Midget. I'm Stel Pontikas. Glad to have you along for this week's edition of the show. And we will be right back. Welcome back to HomeWise. I'm Stel Pontikas with the host of the show, Michael Midget. 
And Michael, we're in the middle of uh, this discussion on capital and all the other uh, different facets here. So jump right back in, buddy. The private banking model, how to become or act like your own bank, Mm. right? Not opening a bank, not a physical bank, not the kind you drive by, but owning your own banking activities and processes, thinking like a banker, treating. So you referred to capital. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about capital. Don't let that word scare you, fool you or anything. Just think money, okay? Money in your account. To remember, I'm an accountant. I got a accounting background. Um, I mean, capital is really the right word, but you don't need to <clears throat> completely redefine all of the words in order to get the idea that I'm trying to get across. So capital equals equals money. We've been talking about the uh, this, this framework that I've been laying out, uh, acting like, a bank. And I've broken it down into rules or steps. We've talked about rule number one, which is surrounding capital, money, keep your money, hang on to your money, protect your money. Don't lose your money. Okay. Uh, in, in a form of don't lose your money is don't spend your money, mm-hmm. at least in places where you don't, where you, you know, wh- you know, where you don't have to. And I know in our society, people, they hate debt. They hate debt more. I mean, they like savings. They like to have cash on hand, but they hate debt more. Okay. <laughs> and so they will, they will spend capital or spend money to pay off debt. And that's not a bad thing. Okay. And arguably, depending on how bad the debt is, like if it's a credit card debt, and we're talking about taking money out of a savings account, savings account, zero point nothing, credit card upwards 20, 25%. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's an easy decision, right? I'm not gonna, you're not gonna take it on the chin by taking the cash out of savings and putting it over here. But what if there was a better way? What if you didn't have to take the, lose the cash in order to get the debt paid off, right? Now, Obviously, I'm not going to, I don't have a magic wand where I can just like, you know, abracadabra and make it disappear and keep the cash here. But it's kind of like magic because <laughs> you can take the cash, use the cash as, and this isn't a perfect example, but I'm just using cash to keep it simple. Okay. Use the cash as collateral for financing cash, get, get additional cash or money right? Without giving up your money, take that new money and pay off the debt with it. Mm-hmm. And now, so now all you've done is trade one debt for a different kind of debt. Okay. But the act of doing that is part of what we're talking about today with rule number two, which is finance efficiently. Okay. So the idea is that there's a way to finance this where you're converting financing from one form into another form creating a financial benefit there that you're then going to turn around and use that financial benefit to pay off, to pay off the loan. Okay. That is what we're going to talk about in segment three today. Oh, okay. (laughs) So uh, we just, you know, that, that comment that you made led me to just, it leads me places, right? So we talk about this kind of being a a show of tangents, (laughs) um, But it's nice because all of these different paths, all of these different topics, all of these different ways of looking at things are all lead to the same place. They all are interconnected. They are all part of one single 
overall ecosystem, okay, that I'm referring to now as a private banking framework, okay? So um, we will crawl before we walk and we will walk before we run. We're still in the crawling phase. So we're walking through the, I guess, the, the uh, you know, I guess the fundamentals mm-hmm. of that as best we can without completely sounding like we're way off in the weeds, you know? So uh, on break, we were, we were just, you know, we were talking about being tangential and often off in the weeds there. It's not difficult to do. So, you know, if you get that feeling, just hang in there, I'll pull it back. <laughs> I'll pull it back. Okay. But when we're talking about financing efficiently, all right, I have this thing called rate efficiency optimization, right? So when you're looking at your financing, one of the things you're going to look at is what's the interest rate on it? Oh, that's easy. I get that. Okay. That makes sense. See, we already want to do that. Now I've said that's not the the first and foremost thing that you should look at. You should pay attention to the strategy that you're using first and then rate once you've got the proper strategy. So once you're positioned right, you've got the right loan, you've got everything else dialed in that is, I guess, higher on the food chain, so to speak, than interest rate is going to be. Once we've got that all figured out, now let's scrutinize interest rate and do the best that we that we can there. And so that's actually the second piece of this idea. What I really wanted to talk about first, so again, crawl before we walk, is what do we mean by efficiency, right? So we talked about that a little bit in segment one. Mortgage financing is a very efficient form of financing, okay? I mean, it's pretty darn good. Uh, You can control large sums of money with uh, relatively small monthly payments. I know, you know, like, oh, but, you know, if we're talking about a mortgage, well, my month, that's my biggest monthly payment. Mike, you told me it was my biggest monthly payment. It's my biggest investment. It's my biggest everything. That's why it matters so much. Like, yeah, but you also have to understand that everything is relative, right? So if we're talking about, again, St. Charles County, $400,000 home purchase price, you could buy that home with as little as 5% down, right? So if you're keeping with rule number one, you don't have to do this perfectly like this, but if I was applying this just from a financial sense, making only financial decisions, leaving emotion and everything else out of it, we'd put the minimum down, which is 5%. That would leave you with a $380,000 loan. And given today's interest rates are roughly, I mean, they're gonna, and they've really been very uh, volatile lately, but uh, let's just say 7%. I'm pulling that out of there. It's a hypothetical number. It's close, but depending on when you hear this, it might not be applicable anymore. Um, principal and interest plus PMI on that, because you can have PMI, private mortgage insurance with only 5% down, is $2,600 a month. Okay. Now, I'm leaving taxes and insurance off of that because that's not a borrowing cost. If you went out and paid cash for the house, you wouldn't have a mortgage, so you wouldn't have a mortgage payment. So you wouldn't have a principal payment. You wouldn't have an interest payment. Well, you did have a principal payment. It was 100%. That's the, the mm. check you wrote to buy it. <laughs> you bought all your own principal on payment number one at closing. But you don't have a, a monthly principal interest and a PMI payment. 
but you're still going to have, you're still going to incur the cost for the real estate taxes and you better insure the house. Okay. So the borrowing costs are $2,600 a month. These are your financing costs. This is the cost for the use of the money. All right. You can control $380,000 um, by the way, 20% down, or I'm sorry, 5% down, $20,000 to control a $400,000 asset. I mean, you can't even hardly buy a car for $20,000 these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for less than the price of a car, you can control an appreciating asset that has tremendous utility, meaning it has lots of usefulness. It's very likely to go up or appreciate in value. Um, at least over the midterm, especially in the long term. I can do a great job hedging inflation with that. And it's only going to cost you $2,600 a month. So percentage-wise, that's a very low. I think it's, it's, it's less than 1%. It's, it's, a, it's, like, it's a little over half a, half a percent. Uh, it's a function of, of the interest rate there. Um, remember when we were talking back uh, many, many episodes ago, but the miracle of the 30 year mortgage, Mm -hmm. it was actually one of the, uh, the initial promos for the show last year when we first launched, but I talked about the miracle of the 30 year fixed mortgage. This is the perfect illustration of that concept of the democratization of real estate, uh, that I had talked about a few shows ago. Also democratization of real estate just means that the the purchase of real estate is available to the masses. So it used to be, see, um, well, and it's also, it's democratization of real estate via the 30-year fixed rate mortgage, okay? So in other words, you don't have to have, if you want to buy that $400,000 house, you don't actually have to have $400,000. You only need $20,000 and the ability to borrow twenty for somebody to approve you to pay what the monthly payment is. You don't actually have to have all 400 at one time. It's not a consumable asset. You're not going to consume it all at that, at that point in time. Um, it's also likely to go up in value over time. So these are all mm-hmm. things that, that make that possible. But let's talk about, um, so I made the comment that mortgage financing is very efficient. Okay. Um, why is that? What does an efficient loan look like? All right. So one of the uh, tenets of that is going to be relatively low rate. Okay. So not a 20% loan. So credit cards, not very efficient. Um, Maybe necessary, maybe needed, depending on how you use it, it might be very efficient. It's very efficient as a form of payment in the short term to facilitate the ease of commerce, but for to financing, right? How you're going to ultimately pay for something and pay for something isn't necessarily meaning swiping the card at the point of sale, but it's the way that you're going to pay that cost over time. And one of those options is I paid it all up front in the form of like, they took the money, I spent the money, or you stretch the payments out over time. Credit card's not a very good way to stretch payments out over time, even though you can. It's a big profit center for banks. Um, something else, though, is a fixed rate. Okay, so on that mortgage, a fixed rate, um, it's efficient because it locks in the cost, right? So it removes risk out of the equation. 
And um, it's it's a big factor in the ability uh, for that mortgage to uh, open up the ownership of real estate to the masses or what I've referred to as the democratization of real estate. But um, so fixed rate is important in that, although not directly attendant of efficiency. But here's here's the big one. Mm -hmm. All right. Long term amortization, long term amortization. Okay. In other words, we're going to spread that cost out. All right. So four hundred thousand dollars in the turn in our example here with the house, we're going to spread that out over a long period of time. Right. In this case, thirty years. Okay. That's that's a long time. Um, you spread that cost out over time, it brings down the periodic cost. Periodic cost just monthly payment. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Brings down that monthly payment. Okay. So it's a smaller forced principal reduction per payment. That's significant. I'll tell you why here in a minute. Okay. Now here's the controversial piece. Okay. This is good that you have smaller principal reduction per payment. Okay. Without being forced to pay down on the loan. Wait a minute. We like equity. Equity is good. Equity is, that's, Mike, you, last week you talked about it's a form of capital. All right. Okay. It's not terrible. Okay. Um, and we don't, we're not, we're not going to uh, say that it's bad to have any principal pay down, but the more principal you have paying down into the form of equity in the property, the more, remember, we also talked about equity being a lazy asset. It mm. has no return on investment. Mm-hmm. So it's you taking, forcing you to take money, cash that you have in your hand today, and it's forcing you to spend it, spend it, all right? That's, that's spending it, okay? Now, you haven't completely lost it, but it is locked up. You've lost the use of it, okay? You've also lost its investment value because it's not going to grow and compound equity has no return on investment, okay? Not only does it not have a return on investment, but it doesn't have a compounding return on investment, all those kind of things. So we like our equity. Equity is good. It's better to have equity than to not have the money at all. But if I had my choice, instead of having equity sitting in a property earning zero, okay, I would rather have it elsewhere in an alternative investment like maybe my 401k or the stock market, or, you know, I own a few small businesses. It's, it's better in my small business because I can turn the money there. Oh, turn the money. That's another idea. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that in upcoming weeks here. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> um, I can do better elsewhere with that, with that money. Okay. So, um, it just, again, it comes down to what are we doing with the money? What is its highest and best use? All right. So efficient loans don't force us to pay them back faster than is necessary. Right. So just to wrap this idea up, um, a 30-year loan is generally considered more efficient than a 15-year loan even though a 15-year loan has a lower interest rate on it. Because remember, I said low rate is also a tenet of being efficient. But a 15-year loan has a larger payment on it. It's sucking up more capital periodically or as time goes on. Um, It's still better than paying cash. 
And sometimes I can get cash buyers to go to a 10 or a 15 year loan and do a partial liquidity event like that. Um, that's better than having it all locked up from day one. But as you extend that term out and yeah, you're paying more interest as you go out farther. And I know interest, that's a terrible thing. And now we got that terrible mortgage, but it frees up cash to do something else with. So if you have to put this in your mind in some way, it's okay. I, yeah, I have this mortgage. I have enough to pay it off. The money's sitting right over here. I could just take the money out of this, write one check and pay it off. But see, if it's sitting in the property, it isn't going to grow, okay? Because equity has no rate of return. The house, the asset does grow in value over time, but it's going to grow in value irrespective of whether it has mortgage on it or not, okay? doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's mortgage to the hilt or if it has no mortgage at all. If it's, if it's price or value is going to go up 5% in a, in a, you know, over the course of a year, it's going to do that regardless of whether it has loan or not, on it, whether it has any equity in it or not. So in order for me to avoid having that, you know, dead money, I need to put it to work somewhere, somewhere else. So we want loans that pay down slower. So that is controversial. I'll admit that. And again, it's not a deal breaker. If you come to me and we talk about this, don't think like, oh, he's going to try and ram this idea down like long, big loans, uh, you know, and whatever. Not the case. We might, com- we might have a conversation about it and we should have a conversation about it to explore it just so that you know, so you have enough information, education to make an educated decision. But if it's still your decision to go the other way, which might be less efficient, it might not protect all of your capital. Um, there, are, there are things involved here that go beyond just the financial, like, you know, balance sheet stuff, you know, there's emotion to it mm-hmm. and there's life's down that this is the family home. It's the nest egg. I say, I get that. So, um, we will, it's just, you know, it's, this is an ongoing conversation with that, but, um, why don't we go to break and when we come back, uh, we'll wrap this up. We'll take a quick break here. You are listening to HomeWise. That's Michael Midget. I'm Stel Pontikas. Glad to have you along for this week's edition of the show. And we will return in just a moment. Welcome back to HomeWise. I'm Stel Pontikas with the host of the show, Michael Midget. And Michael, let's get back into the discussion here. Thanks, Stel. So if you're just joining us, we are having a nice light and airy conversation about the private banking model. <laughs> just a little chit chat. And we're discussing rule number two with lots of, um, I guess, recapping of rule number one, which is keep your capital. Rule number two, the new rule this week is efficient financing, financing efficiently. One of the key ideas in keeping your capital is the concept of collateralization, where instead of spending spending your app, uh, asset or spending your capital, you're going to collateralize it, which just means use it to take out a loan to finance whatever it is you were going to spend it on. And then um, basically you're going to pay the loan back, pay yourself back. Otherwise, you've spent your capital. Okay. So... Um, and, you know, there are, there are, there are lots of, I mean, the idea is bigger than that. Okay. But we're, 
you know, we're taking off bite-sized chunks of this and just trying to put it out there in a sense and keeping it wrapped around real estate and the family home and that, which is really what we're here to talk about anyway. So um, last segment, we talked about um, how a mortgage loan is efficient. There is another point of efficiency once you've figured out everything else, once you've got a loan quote itself. Um, so when I referred to rate efficiency optimization, that is the, the, the rate price combination that is, well, let's just call it best bang for your buck, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few weeks back, we talked about um, when we were talking about interest rates and said on any given day, there is no one rate. There are several rates and it just depends on what you want to pay to get that rate. So when people, um, when people ask, well, what's your rate today? They generally, they mean what's your zero point rate today, right? Cause nobody wants to actually pay points, but I can make a strong argument for paying points using the private banking model. Um, because it might be wise to invest cash into buying a lower interest rate if the price isn't very high in relation to the benefit that would come from it, right? Oh, there's that idea of return on investment again, right? Cost benefit analysis. What do I have to spend? What do I get back for it? You know, so if I could, depending on where rates are in any given day and depending on where you are in the rate curve, um, you know, one, you know, if you were looking to say, okay, I can pay, I'll, I'm willing to pay up to one point. What can I get for that one point? One day that one point might buy you, uh, like a half a percent on the interest rate, right? So if rates were seven, you could get six and a half and one. Okay. A totally hypothetical. It's not a quote. I don't know what they are today. Mm-hmm. I haven't looked. Um, and it's probably not that rosy right now because rates are very volatile. Okay. What that means is that for the system to publish an interest rate, um, they're publishing those rates. They have to be able to guarantee So when we quote a rate and a price, it comes with a lock period. Um, they're guaranteeing that rate at a certain point in time. That cost right now is fairly expensive, which is why rates, part of the reason why rates are up. Part of that is the volatility that's going on. But one day that one point might buy you a half a percent. On other days, that point might only buy you an eighth of a percent on the interest rate. So seven versus 6.875. Yeah, 6.875 has a lower payment associated with it. You're going to pay less interest. So depending on how long you have that loan, paying that one point might be a good investment, but it's a better investment if I can get a whole half of a percent reduction in the rate to get an even lower payment and pay less interest. The the recoup time on that money or the break even or the benefit, you know, doing the the, the ROI to keep with uh, our terminology we've been using is higher in that scenario than if we're only getting an eighth, right? So getting a half a percent better is better than getting, you know, than getting an eighth. Um, Again, Mm -hmm. totally common sense when I put it to you that way, but there's that concept of that's an example of efficiency, right? What am I getting for my money? 
I'm spending money or I'm investing money. I'm putting, I'm parting with, I'm parting with capital, right? Money. What am I getting for it? Am I getting a lot? Am I getting a little bit? Am I getting anything at all? Mm -hmm. What I get, is it a one-time benefit or is that benefit going to compound into the future? Um, I mean, there's all these different considerations in there, which is why I go to say there's no one hard and fast rule. There's no rule of thumb. There's, I can't just one line it for you. It's shades of gray. And those shades are going to change for everybody because everybody's situation is a little bit different. And that's not me just gaming the system to get you to call or talk to me because we can't give you the answer here, but I could give it to you on the phone. I can't give it to you on the phone either without having a conversation with you. Well, at least I can't give you a responsible answer. Okay. So, um, it's just, it's different for everybody, but if you show up and you have thought about some of these things, you know, um, it, we can have a better, we can have a better conversation because I can do more for you. It doesn't mean you're going to call up and we're going to have this conversation if this is totally new to you, but, um, just the more, you know, the better off, the better off you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was talking about efficiency in the terms of when you're buying a house, but you can also use this idea of rate efficiency or finding, I'm sorry, not rate efficiency, financing efficiency, uh, to evaluate your existing financing. Now I alluded to this earlier in the show when we were talking about the debt consolidation example and the credit card example and all of that. Because when you're looking at debt consolidation, that's essentially what you're doing. When you take a group of debts or a group of payments or whatever, and you consolidate them, all right, or you replace them with one loan, okay, or you replace a group of payments with one payment, presumably the new payment is in a more efficient form of financing, the underlying financing than what the individual debts were that comprised the original payments. Mm-hmm. If it weren't, the payments <laughs> wouldn't be going down, right? I mean, now that's no one has ever shown it to you that way. No one's ever said it to you that way. If you you probably, if I just somebody pulled somebody off the street and said, hey, you know, do you know what debt consolidation is? If you could find somebody, you know, and know how a debt consolidation loan works. Well, why do they work? Oh, well, they work because you can get a better rate on the, in this case, you know, I always promote, uh, have been talking about doing a home equity line at like eight, 10, maybe 12% versus credit cards at 24. Well, yeah, that's better. I would rather borrow at 12 than 24, right? I get that, right? That makes sense to me. Okay. It's a factor in why the payments are lower, but it's not the whole factor because I could, if that, if that, if that loan's not there, if that home equity, see, there's another reason why the home equity line is nearly the ideal, ideal tool to use for this. But it's not simply because the interest rate is lower. There's also the factor of we need the payment to be lower. Mm. And in fact, I can, I can deal, the interest rate almost doesn't matter as long as I can get the payment down because what I really need is that monthly margin, right? So we spent weeks talking about the idea of margin, right? Margin, the difference between what you're spending and what you're paying on or what you're paying on a debt and what you're making overall. It's the amount of money that you have to pay down, pay ahead, pay ahead on a debt. If you don't have any margin, you can't speed it up. 
And if you can't speed it up, then you have to pay it out the way that it's currently laid out. And there is no savings compared to what you're, what, you know, you know, what you're doing now. There would be no reason to consolidate those debts. You consolidate the debts to get a better deal, mm. right? Well, so yeah, you can look at it and it's, I mean, believe me, when I'm looking at this, it's easier to make it work when, you know, if the rates are 24 on the credit cards and it's, you know, I'm, I'm can do a home equity line in the neighborhood of eight to 10. Um, I mean, yeah, that's an easy, I mean, it's an easier sale, number one, because I don't have to get into all of this to explain to you that why it, why it works or whatever. But um, that's really not the financial mechanical reason of why it works. It helps it work, but what it really makes it work is the fact that the payments are a lot less. Part of the reason or most of the reason why the payments are less is because a home equity line is interest only. It lets me stretch those payments out, okay, on an interest only payment to stretch those payments out infinitely because there is no principal reduction. Well, I should say there's no forced principal reduction. It's not an infinite term loan. We don't can't have the loan forever. They're generally going to be about a 10-year term. And at the end of that 10-year term, they're going to make us renegotiate or whatever. But the monthly, the, you know, the monthly payments that 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 have to go into that are only interest. There's no forced principal. So what that does, so uh, but Mike, again, I just can't get I I don't that's Dave Dave Ramsey says that's bad. <laughs> that's bad. Don't do one and don't do that. If you don't pay yourself back, yes, it's bad because it has no amortization. It'll last forever. You'll pay more interest, even though the interest rate is a lot lower. If you need any more proof that it's not the interest rate, that's the proof right there. Mm. Okay. The term matters, matters more, but it's a, it's a, it, I don't want to say it's a juggling act, but it, it is sort of, you know, the idea that these things all, need to be in balance in order to make this work. That's why I say, don't try this at home. Get yourself a professional that knows, you know, somebody that knows what they're doing. All right. To make sure that you get to where you think you want to go. All right. But, um, you got to come out of it with, with lower payments. So now if we put that into the banking model and we're talking about efficiency, what we're doing is we're replacing inefficient debt with more efficient debt. So again, credit cards, easy to see, high interest rates, high payments compared to balance owed, all right, of two and a half to 3% if their interest rates are 20 to 24 versus the HELOC. Yeah, it has a lower rate, but it will also allow for interest only or near interest only payments with no forced prepayment. That gives us discretion. It gives us the flexibility to do what we want with that margin. Okay. So you can use that margin to pay back the loan that, that can be your principal prepayment, but you might have a better place to put that. Remember, it always comes back to highest and best use if we're going to maximize this, right? So if we're just, if we're looking at it, you know, if you're, if you're a small business owner and you have, you know, you have the ability to invest into your small business, maybe you're investing in a marketing campaign or in a new piece of equipment or something that's going to really make a difference, move the needle in your business. I mean, it wouldn't be hard to get a hundred percent return on that. And so do I want to invest my money and get a hundred percent return in that? Or do I want to 
get a piddly 20% return for paying down my credit cards. Piddly, that 20% is pretty good, but see, it's better over here. Now, not everybody has that option to do that, mm. but um, that's just an example of shades, shades of gray. Okay. But the key is it allows control of that debt for the lesser amount. So you have the lesser payment. You can use that difference to pay down, pay down the debt. So the consolidated version of those debts is more efficient or has better efficiency than the original, than the original scenario. That's why I say the consolidation works. If it's done right, if it's done responsibly, if it's done within the private banking model as I'm laying it out here, because you're going to pay yourself back. When you do it that way, then it's safe, it works, and it has tremendous return on it. So I said the return on paying off debt will spoil you compared to investing in the stock market or whatever else. Mm -hmm. So um, I know I threw a lot of things at you. Um, Go back and re-listen to this. Go back and listen to last week's. Um, if you have questions, send me an email, send me a text. Ask, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Um, I don't expect you to get this right out of the gate. Really, what I wanted to do was just to give you a new way or an alternative way to think about this that's a little bit different than probably what you have heard before. It's all the same concepts. It's just laid out in a different framework that I think when you learn the framework, when you get your mind wrapped around just a few key concepts that they can really drive the answers to a lot of questions that you might have. And you, more importantly, you know, when, when you have questions to ask. So again, um, homewiseradio.com, all my contact information is there, but if you want to get to me directly through my mortgage website, that's goshelter.com. Uh, you can also call and text me direct 314-275-0314. That phone rings, those texts come straight through to my desk. Um, I'm the one that answers. That's good. That's okay. good to know. And that wraps up this edition of HomeWise. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Michael Midget. I'm Stel Pontikas. We're glad that you were along for this week's edition of the show. Hope you enjoyed it and got some great information out of it. We will do it again next weekend. Hope to see you here and uh, have a good week. Loans and loan information provided by Shelter Mortgage, Inc. Visit us at GoShelter.com and MLS number 192609. A Missouri residential mortgage licensee and equal housing lender. Call 888-497-2558 for additional cost information. Other restrictions may apply. 